get a reaction like that if he scores. 1,000 tonight will be something else. Tavares tipped that one in front. I think Bench finally realizes that Tavares got a little piece of it. That picture worth 1,000 points as it's a milestone night for the Leaf captain here tonight. Storybook for him to do it in this building, in this way. They have just put on the scoreboard congratulations on 1,000 points for John Tavares. Not quite getting the reaction he'd be getting elsewhere. 2009 to 2018 will always be known as the John Tavares era here on the island. He was the best player on the team most nights. Perhaps now some closure for one or both parties, which perhaps the distance grows between them. Islanders fans can remember more of what he did and who he was and less about how he left. Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Give him now 1,009 points, John Tavares. I don't know who that voice uh, talking at the end was. Obviously, somebody associated with the Islanders. Not holding my breath on that one, pal. The yeah. idea of, you know, in the, in, the, in the cold light of day, Islanders fans will see what... No, I think they've made up their mind. And, uh, yeah, we're going to relitigate this until the dawn of time, and they're going to never change their minds. And I, again, I'll say it before, I'll say it again. I kind of respect them for it. Well, so let's get into that. Leafs on Long Island tonight against a real hockey team. It's been a couple of games. Let's make it three games. They played a real hockey team. Um, They played the Ducks on the road Mm -hmm. on the back end of back-to-backs. Had a great Mm -hmm. goaltending performance and took overtime to beat that team, okay? Jonesy. And then they... Went into San Jose, and yeah, it wasn't scoreboard. It, it wasn't a blowout. 4-1, one of those goals, an empty netter. Game was pretty uh, dominant for the Leafs, and then a 7-1 victory, home end of that uh, home and home against the Sharks. On the road against a real team that's in a playoff spot mm. in the Islanders tonight. And uh, John Tamara is his second trip to Long Island this season. Last time he was there, he scored his 1,000th point, as I mentioned, 1,009 uh, so far this season. So, Zach... Weinstock for the hockey news. It's a nice little a descriptor of mm. what is going on on Long Island and the Islanders fans' relationship to John Tavares. And, you know, one of the tweets in illustrating the point that he tries to make is that, hey, the point actually hasn't been illustrated well enough. Uh, why the Islanders fans hate John Tavares and mm. continue to boo him. The, the title of, of the piece is What Biz... Uh, that's Paul Bizonette. Mm-hmm. And Leafs lovers don't understand about Islanders fans and John Tavares. So here's, here's the, the number one poll quote that I think starts our conversation here. And it Somehow actually, it's not going to be the Butch Goring roasting of Paul Bissonnette with that article. So good. Really good. Of just like, oh, maybe you could come here and be booed and it'd be nice to be recognized for once in your life or whatever. No, it was it very was, cruel. I, mean, so, I loved it. It was so, great. I mean, this is all in reference, and I think Biz was playing the role. But yeah, he, sure. Said, yeah, classless that Islanders fans would boo a guy who scored his 1,000th point, was a great um, member of your franchise for many, many years. And yeah, Butch Goring, Butch Goring said, yeah, it'd be great. You can show up and they can boo you for, in your zero points. <laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> which is a, it was an incredible comeback. Uh, and Biz rightly yeah. like, responded Laughing like, emojis. yeah, that was yeah. good. You got Very me. good. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's the poll quote that I think we can have a conversation mm. off of. And I think it, it backs up the point that you made. Mm. Candor is not what Islanders fans wanted from John Tavares in 2017-2018. They wanted his signature on an eight-year extension. Tavares opted for Toronto, so Islanders fans don't like him. It's not how he left. It's that he left. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's everything that's great about sports. 
Hard agree. I got no problem. Even when a guy's Mm -hmm. recording his 1,000th point, is headed to the Hall of Fame, and he did some great things for your franchise, no problem with the vociferous booing each and every time he touches the puck, each and every time he shows up in your arena. I don't need Greg Popovich taking to the microphone telling you not to boo. Boo your little hearts out. Islanders fans tonight. Your cold, black, Long Island hearts. And I'm going to, I agree with everything you said with one quibble. I would actually pay very good money to have Greg Popovich, of all people, take the mic in that building and try to tell those people to quiet down. Because if you think that's going to do anything other than crank it up to 1,000, mm-hmm. like imagine, I mean, he wouldn't. We saw the response he had to Biz. Imagine Butch Goring getting on the mic and going, people, this is an Islanders legend. Guess what? They'd start booing him. Too. The parallel I keep going back to with this, and you know, I'm sure it's been made before. I don't know that people always go there, and it's a Toronto parallel is Vince. You know, the the Islanders, they are a storied franchise. It hasn't always felt like that, especially in the 21st century, but you know, four straight cups. Our boy Justin Bourne, like he you hear him talk about it all the time, rightfully so. And then there was Tavares, and he was part of a different era, the one playoff series win, and he was a great Islander. I don't think you could take anything away from that, but I think to Vince and the Raptors, now it was a little inverse in that the Raptors have won afterwards, and they didn't have the history of winning, but what was so much of the talk was, hey, this guy built it here. You have to give him respect. He was the only shining light you had, and I said, uh, disagree. Did you not see him whine and sulk and complain and say I'm not dunking and make him trade for Alonzo Mourning, who never reported here, and we don't need to relitigate it all? And guess what? It was 15 or, I don't know, God, it was so long ago now, however long it's been, 15-some-odd years, that have I simmered on those thoughts? Yeah, if I, if I saw Vince Carter in the street, would I boo him? No. But if I was at a Raptors game and by some miracle Vince Carter was playing for the opposing team, guess what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. I'm going to boo Vince because I still feel the way I did when he left, and was it different in the terms of the petulance with Vince and with John Tavares taking the high road, even though I'm sure Islanders fans don't feel that way? Yeah, there was differences in it all, but that's a parallel I've been, I've been, I keep coming back to, and I hate when people try to make Raptors fans, and we've, we've litigated this all to death. It doesn't feel like it's as much conversation anymore, but I hate when people tried to make Raptors fans feel bad for booing Vince or not having the kumbaya or not having the come full circle moment. I couldn't stand that. If you want to do that, that's fine. You're allowed to think that way, but I don't think any fan base should be shamed into coming around on a guy who scorned them, kind of whatever way it was. So yeah, I have zero, zero problem with it. What I had a problem with was mm. the embarrassing, like, John Tavares day after, like, oh, his yes. poor, poor millionaire I did. athlete. I did have a he got booed to go back to his former stomping grounds. God, John Tavares day, make him feel better. No, that's what the money's for. Well, and also, could you think of a guy who would less want a day? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I can't. It's like we did the Kawhi and Dine thing of, guys, Kawhi Leonard wants us to fed him with attention and talk about him everywhere. I think that's the opposite of what he wants. And you know what? John Tavares, you know what he would like is to have a pity party for him in the city of Toronto. I highly doubt he wanted any part of that either. Yeah, that was – that you nailed it, and it's so true that John Tory and his Kawhi – or sorry, Kawhi Leonard day, John Tavares day – is a thousand times more embarrassing than Islanders fans booing a guy who mm-hmm. left their team. Yep. It's it's pro sports. Like, yeah. Get over it. I don't think John Tavares, I mean, all indications are that he's fine with it. He understands that this was always going to be the situation when you leave a place that you're the captain of. And yeah, you tweet out a picture of you in Toronto Maple Leafs bed sheets, and it does feel mm-hmm. like 
um, to Islanders fans that this was always going to be your modus operandi. Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. Well, so do you do you agree that the the manner in which he departed doesn't impact the 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 amount of scorn towards him or does it impact because this is what the the main yeah, yeah. the 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 idea of this thing is like yeah, I, I know Islanders fans will tell you it's because they didn't get anything for him in trade because they had a feeling or like yep. had a hope and he indicated to them that it was a possibility he would resign for the full Eight years, so that's why they didn't they didn't cut off all communication with with the player by shipping him out for pieces at the deadline, and the, and it was the way that the separation happened that that impacts the relationship between the fans and the player. Now they're saying like that's all baloney. Do, do you believe that there's any impact? I I don't think it is the prevailing. I, I think that if he leaves, regardless of the matter, some people will always be upset. But if he would have said to the Islanders at the draft the year before free agency, mm-hmm. I'm gone, I'm out of here, and they would have traded him for, you know, be it a haul, be it some picks, even if those picks never really amount to anything and they're just guys that you're frustrated with in your organization, I do think some or the majority of the fan base feels differently about it. But I think the idea of, oh, no, it's just that he's not here. No, there's there, it was definitely some of the way he left. And, you know, we, we'll never know what's in Tavares' head. I think in his head, he had convinced himself that, yes, there's a chance I reassign in Long Island. But I think in his heart, he knew all along, so long as it made any sense at all, mm-hmm. he was going to come home. And I think that's the part that is so frustrating for people. And, you know, Tavares is like hockey robot. We talk about it all the time. You're never going to get an admission from him of, yes, deep down, I knew this. Because I don't think, I think he has like George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it himself into, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It was always up in the air. It was always 50-50. Come on, it was never 50-50. Maybe 70-30, maybe 80-20. It's never 50-50. Yeah, maybe it was uh, a... Uh... Okay, do you think there was more likelihood that that John Tavares re-signed with the Islanders than it was Shohei Otani was going to sign anywhere other than the Dodgers? Okay, hold on. Uh, I think I think it was more likely that Otani was going to be a Dodger than whatever anything else okay. in all of sports was going to happen. Okay, like, I think it's more likely Otani was going to be a Dodger than the sun will rise tomorrow. Okay, so yeah, you think it was more disingenuous. <laughs> Uh, Shohei Otani's um, chopping himself around mm-hmm. in free agency sure. than John Tavares taking the meeting with the Sharks and then still with the Islanders I think even John, after it wasn't eight years. I think John Tavares is so hockey-brained that he would have been disgusted with himself if he didn't give the... I, I mean, who cares about the Sharks? I'll, I'll hear all day that the Sharks were nothing other than a leverage play and to drive a... I'll hear that from the Sharks' perspective. But... Hockeyman's hockeyman, John Tavares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think in his mind, again, not his heart, but his mind, mm-hmm. he thought it was very much a possibility he was going back to the island. I don't think it ever was, mm-hmm. but guess what? I was making the decision, and I don't think the guy who was, like, I actually think he had convinced himself so much the other way. Uh, we'll see tonight his reception. I think we can all guess uh, what it might be, and the Leafs tying that game up in regulation, but losing um, the bonus point last time they were on Long Island, despite the fact that John Tavares picked up his 1,000th point. All right, this could be a big day in Toronto sports from a news perspective, because apparently as as early as today, it is expected to be announced that Keith Pelley is going to be the next president and CEO of MLSE. Leaving the DP World Tour, which felt like a a dream gig for him, and Mm -hmm. I've talked to him in, in that role where, yeah, it, it's it's nonstop golf all day, every day for a guy that enjoys golf. But 
after everything that's enveloped the world of professional golf, deciding now's the time to get out. And what better place to get out than as the leader of the most significant sporting entity in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Leafs, they're, they're right there in the lead title of the name, MLSE, Maple Leafs, Sports and Entertainment. Mm-hmm. The Raptors yep. are the more valuable franchise. Um, you got Toronto FC. You got the Argos. He would succeed Michael Frisdahl, which we all remember his tenure. was uh, a guy that was a, a, a... It was a rain. He he did something, I'm told. I honestly couldn't, one, recognize him from Adam, and two, even... I couldn't tell you what he sounds like. One thing that he said... No, see, he was like a corporate bean counter, mm-hmm. which might be the role now, uh, but came from Air Canada, and I think he's with they, some aviation company, like Signature Aviation or something now, anyways. But this used God, to you're be... you're such a plain guy. That is correct. <laughs> Did I nail it? You nailed it. Because okay. I wanted to see if I knew what he looked like, and I had an image in my head, and then I Googled it, and it's not the guy I was picturing. No. Okay. So since him, there has been an interim uh, president oh, okay. and, and, and CEO, Cynthia Devine. Okay, did not. Haven't heard from her either. Uh, Wouldn't recognize her. This used to be a role that was actually pretty significant, if not like the impact on the franchise. And and it was actually Mm -hmm. the impact in the franchise because he put the leaders in place that you see right now in Masai Ujiri and Brendan Shanahan. But yeah, Tim Laiwiki, we heard from him plenty. The swashbuckler. When you thought about Toronto sports, it was <laughs> Tim Laiwiki, and then it was everybody else controlling yep. their own sporting entities. Since then, it's been it's been a faceless, nameless position. And part of that, I think, might be that there are some pretty big names mm-hmm. with guys with varying levels of success. But even with the lack of postseason success, it's hard to argue with the amount of regular season success the Toronto Maple Leafs mm-hmm. have had under Brendan Shannon, and especially go back to you know, the previous regime, right? Yep. Like, Tim Laiwiki kind of did it in both places, and it's undeniable with the Raptors. They won a championship mm-hmm. with uh, Masai Ujiri. Are we about to return to the era of, no? well, obviously knowing who the president <laughs> of MLSE is now, but, like, I, I can't imagine Keith Pelley's taking that position if he's if he's shackled and, and muzzled. We're going to hear from this dude. You would think. I, it's certainly interesting. I mean, yeah, the Lewicki's job was clearly to come in and set the pillars of the various entities, be it the Raptors with Ujiri, be it the Leafs with Shanahan. And it'll be very interesting to see what the different role that this job is because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we're going to see a sea change in any of those top positions anytime soon. I mean, they certainly have had their off-ramps with either of those guys lately. Obviously, Masai with the title win or the, the recent title buys them a lot more room, rightfully so, but they've certainly had chances to make changes in those roles if they wanted to. I don't think that's what you're coming in here to do. It'll be really interesting. Like, to your point, we've seen the exact polar opposite sides of what this job can be and the ways you can go about it. And I think we'll hear from Pelly more on kind of bigger picture issues. Maybe we hear from him more on, you know, things that are happening in the league. This is a leagues that he now, you know, is going to helm a company that has big, big say. in. again, this is a guy who was a commissioner of the DP world tour involved in PIF conversations. Like these are huge, big picture things. I wonder if the job is to be, and this is just me spitballing here, but if he's going to be more vocal, I wonder if it's to say the things that Brendan Shanahan can't or doesn't want to, or maybe it's not smart to, for him to say aloud, because again, this is a guy who 
would have thoughts about TV deals and all of the things that are what fuels these leagues. And it'll be very interesting to see because to your point, I don't expect them to be muzzled by any means. It's a guy who's been pretty opinionated in the jobs he's had. Yeah. I, th- I think we like that. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to be taken to a microphone somewhere, but that's all well and good. And, and, and that's entertaining and that's fodder for us. What is really going to be impactful is whether there's a either a change or a, an illumination as to the leadership structure at MLSE. Because mm-hmm. it does feel like you got your Brendan Shanahan, you got your Masai Ujiri, and yeah, like they're, you know, they have bosses, quote unquote, but like there's no direct reporting structure. They report to the board. The board. Yeah. Like, so is now the buck stopping with Keith Pelly? Like if, so. if you got problems with either franchise, you're like, Keith, do something I here. Don't, I don't think so. I think the board is still going to carry a ton of sway, if not the well, all the say. I mean, look, he's going to have a vote, but it's one. Like, he is obviously brought in to do a job, but I don't think... I think Lewicki, look at his background. It was in sports teams. It was in sports management. He was brought in to set that up. Look at Pelly's background. It's in broadcasting. It's in league God, what a career. commissioner. Yeah, honestly, like <laughs> if you had one of those jobs, it would go on the the like head, of, like your tombstone of like you did this Not in your life. A lot of guys have been at both uh, major sporting media entities in this in this yeah. country, and he's done both. And Olympic then, consortium, and then yeah. with both of them, and then the the. The president of, uh, yeah, the, the Argos, yep. who are not the Leafs, Blue Jays, or the Raptors. But, uh, and then go to Europe and, yep. you know, be a notable person on the global scale. And then return to helm the yep. biggest sporting entity in the country. Yeah, starting not dissimilarly from a lot of people I've worked with, like just as yep. a guy, as a grunt. Yeah, no, like cutting it's, highlights. It's it's remarkable. And, yeah, I do think now that I kind of – now that we've talked around the topic a little bit, I do think that's what I've landed on is that Lewicki's background was in sports. It was in the management of teams, the ownership, the building up of that. Mm. Pelly's background is in a bunch of different things, but it's not necessarily that aspect of it. So I think that that's why you'll see maybe the more – you know, not that Lewicki wasn't a business guy. Obviously, he was, but it's more in the dealing with the leagues than the kind of day to day. That's well, the way I look and, at and it. And that's been the role in, I mean, since Tim Lewicki, that's been the role. It's been about, yeah, money management, I suppose, um, and not necessarily, you know, basketball, hockey operations. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also been a position and a control structure that's kind of been shrouded in mystery since Tim Lewicki. Sure. It's like a cabal, like who. Who knows what's going on there? Like, if I told you that Cynthia Devine's been in charge for you just however didn't, long, I didn't believe you. So. Right? Like, that's who, who? No offense. Yeah, this is it's again the most significant, most important sporting um, organization in this country. Mm-hmm. Controls billions of dollars worth of uh, franchises. And we don't know what they do, really. Well, we, we, real, and, real estate. Like, if we talk about it just from the sports, it's like it's way bigger than than all that. Do you? Okay, we want to do more of this with Damo. Do you have anything else on this? Because, like, I, I I don't know if you've seen it. We have kind of, like, biggish breaking news No, right I now. didn't see it. Oh, what? I DM'd it to uh, you and Jeff Hasparty. It's from Adam Schefter. Patriots now embark on their first head coaching search in a quarter century. Patriots linebacker coach Gerard Mayo protects to be, if not the leading candidate for the job, because Bill Belichick and the Patriots are parting ways. Okay. Like, we don't need to do 15 minutes on this. We have talked about... This has been going back to week three of the season, one of our stock questions for be it Peter or Charles. Mm -hmm. We have talked about this so much. This has been the guy who 
has been the biggest, like it used to be Brady, that he was the biggest lifeline through the NFL of the last two and a half decades, 30 years. It's now Belichick with the Patriots and it's going to no longer be. I mean, I don't think anybody is remotely, even the people who thought they'd find a way or maybe he gets one more kick at the can. I even think those people aren't surprised by this, but this is... This is massive news. This is as big of a coaching change as there, quite honestly, in my opinion, can be in North American pro sports. Yeah. Um, I always thought this was going this was going to be the end result. I will say that the comments from Bill Belichick on Monday of this week made me scratch my head a little bit. And I, I did wonder if that if nothing else changed the messaging, because he didn't sound like a guy who's like, Yeah, no, goodbye, like forever. Like, uh, it's, it's been real, but I'll be getting the hell out of here. Yep. Sounded like a guy who was ready to make concessions to remain in his post. 15 wins away from Don Shula's record. Yeah, he's not retiring, right? This isn't a Nick Saban situation where, yeah, I mean, the big news of the day yesterday, the Nick Saban yeah. stepping down, and boy, that's an interesting spot to land in uh, with a, a great organization with great expectations, mm-hmm. but yeah, following a legend, which you would be as well in New England. A couple of them, yeah. Although, yeah. You, there's nowhere to go but up when you're talking about the Patriots in the last couple of years, but more specifically this year and game 17 against the New York Jets. But, okay, so we know he's separating from the Patriots. We don't know how it's going to be messaged from mm-hmm. the Patriots' perspective. And I do want, I, I guess there's, like, they would allow Bill to save face by, you know, messaging it as a mutual parting of ways, so just, even if it is a firing. Okay, just, do you have details not, not on that? Not more, but just a little more reporting this from Rappaport. Uh, there have been meetings in the last three days. In the end, the two sides could not come together for Belichick's return. He is out now. So that, to me, seems like there could not be enough of a saving face to yeah. me. And they just said, all right, there's the door then. We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. No, you don't yeah. want to play ball? All right, cool. There's the door. Go, Go ahead. That's rough. That's I mean, how it sounds to me anyways, reading okay. between the lines, and a million more things will come out about this okay. today, I'm sure. Years, and like, I'm not necessarily comparing the two, but Nick Nurse is going to be a legend here forever, and he was mm-hmm. he was the head coach of this Raptors team that won a title in 2019, and boxing won, and, you know, the Arkells, and he was a fixture in the franchise, uh, in the city, and in 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 uh, the market, um, and there could have conceivably been a way for both parties to save face and say, hey, it, it ran its course and we're, we're going our separate ways. But Nick Nurse wanted his money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Raptors fired him. Like, mm-hmm. he was fired. Yep. Now, Bill Belichick just signed a contract extension. Again, I'm sure Bill Belichick's not giving any money away. Oh, you and, don't think. And and that's that's part of it. I I guess maybe it's not the worst Thing in the world, like if you're a Patriots fan, does it hurt you a little bit to see oh Bill Belichick not just saying thanks for the memories? It's been great, and I understand you got to move on. I'm ready to move on too. I'm going my I'm going my own way. Mm-hmm. Does it does it change thing if you're a Patriots fan? If like Robert Kraft has a statement, it's like hey, thanks for the memories, Bill, but we're going our separate way. And then like Bill's like, okay, well, I'm starting my career. Like th- that it's a proper firing I as can, opposed to a couple of people shaking hands and waving goodbye. As a Patriots fan, I can answer that question for you. I think that if that is the way that this is messaged and Kraft goes about it, and I just reading, again, reading the tea leaves here, I can very much see that being a possibility. That means he has to nail the the next hire. And not that not that he's not expecting to do that regardless, but if it was seen as an amicable parting of ways 
and okay, the next guy comes in and it's kind of like a Mac Jones, a quarterback situation where you go, all right, this is just not hacking it. All right, we've tried here. Then I think there will be people who say, really? You turf Belichick out the door for this. You had to have the awkward divorce for the second franchise icon for this to have some ho-hum replacement level head coach. There's so many huge names out there. That's the thing. (laughs) That's why I think it leads to the impetus. You know, uh, Schefter mentioned Mayo. He's been in-house a long time there. Vrabel, obviously someone with a lot of ties. There is smoke about Mike Tomlin being available despite him being in a playoff game in a couple of days Jim from Harbaugh now. has been to a Super Bowl. Right. He just won <laughs> a college football championship, bringing a program back from the ashes. Pete Carroll was... <laughs> okay, well, that that one actually, I think, is the only one that's completely untenable in mm, New England. Of The oldest you know, This coach, old guy, yeah. this is Melchick, go he's too older. old. We're going to go older. But at least he chomps gum and is nice. Yeah, yeah, that's the one you could not do. So I think that's the way you look at it is when it is messaged, if it is messaged as, look, we tried, we tried, we tried. We we have to move on. We have to. You have to nail the next hire. It cannot be just some God. death spiral after this. And it's so tough to follow the guy. But it hasn't been the guy in New England for a couple of years now. So I do think there's more of a grace period than there would be typically following a legend. Well, I, I'm dying to see this play out. This is a buyer's market. If you need an NFL head coach, it's one of these guys. It's I mean, also a buyer's market, though, if you're like one of these... If you're one of these high-profile coaches, you have a lot of different scenarios you can look at and, like, you know, the the chargers of it all, and you say, all right, Justin Herbert, yes, I'd like to hitch my wagon to that. Mm. Oh, Robert Kraft, I know that's an owner that's going to spend and knows how to win. Maybe you want to hitch your wagon there. If Mike Tomlin is vacated, the Steelers are nothing other than a winning machine, and, hey, a lot of that's Mike Tomlin, but a lot of that was Bill Cowher before him. So mm. I think that's the interesting thing. That, yeah, if you're a team, you can look and say, got a ton of options available, but if you're one one of the more high-profile guys, there are a million different, yeah, and they're not all the same. No, I know, but there's more high-profile guys than there are high-profile uh, jobs. Like, yes. somebody's going to end up in Washington. Like, that's pretty good. And it won't be Eric Bieniemy, <laughs> Right. Like, there's going to be somebody going to Atlanta who's, like, of note. Mm-hmm. And and maybe, you know, we haven't talked about Dallas, too. Like, maybe Mike McCarthy's hanging out there, too. If, that's if, right. If they lose against the Packers, like, I, I don't see any scenario that Jerry Jones is like, yeah, let's do this again. Um, although he has been like strangely loyal to his head coaches where I would have in the same position been, been firing Jason Garrett well before. Oh he my did. God. If I was an oil magnet, like Jerry Jones, who mm-hmm. owned the Dallas Cowboys, I would be ruthless. You could not lose one game for me. What an insane off season when it comes to the head coaching uh, and, carousel. Uh, I was going to say the, the off season, you mean the, that has yet to start because the playoffs are this mm-hmm. weekend. God, the NFL so sexy all the time. All right, we'll we'll keep you updated if we have any anything else to to tell you about. But yeah, it uh, is just breaking across all the NFL insiders that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are parting ways. How it's going to be messaged, we don't necessarily know at this point. But no more Bill Belichick in New England with the Patriots. The Toronto International Boat Show returning to the Entercare Center at Exhibition Place from January nineteenth to the twenty eighth. We are giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, a Prince Craft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and an overnight stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Just listen for the code words in our show today till January 19th, and text that code word to 59590. You will be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is trailer. We have another code word tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. When we come back, Leafs on a heater right now. We'll talk to Anthony Petrielli 
of uh, Maple Leafs Hot Stove next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Sports at 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. And uh, just to follow up on the story we left you with before the break, New England Patriots and Bill Belichick parting ways. And how would it be messaged? Ooh. Joint yeah. presser at noon. Slame. Boring. Slame. Boring. I wanted fireworks. I wanted Stephen A. Smith and Jason Whitlock <laughs> oh level. I don't yeah, think we are getting you, that. You finally heard in I the did. break. It was so good. <laughs> I, you know, I got to be honest. You, you know, uh, we like we message one another from time to time throughout mm-hmm. the day. There's usually a group uh, mm-hmm. message with me, you and Azo, or sending stuff. Sometimes, if I'm lucky, you'll send me something, you know, just to me, like you did with that video Tiger yesterday. But mm-hmm. I'm a little now that you know how much I love this, I'm a little disappointed. It that was you, in there. You didn't see. Oh, it? Oh, I missed it. Okay, so bad job by me. Yeah, bad open job. Your, open your eyes. Yesterday was a big news story. There were a lot of items being bandied mm-hmm. about and. I don't know how we're going to get to all of it today, honestly. Like, I've been trying to talk audio. to John about John. I mean, I would love to talk to him, but I've been trying to talk about John Tortorella, and I, we snuck in like three minutes of it yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen. There's I don't know too much going either. on. It's too much news. Uh, which is a good thing. All right. Uh, Leafs in Long Island tonight playing a real, real hockey team. Uh, which the San Jose Sharks are not. Let's talk to Anthony Petrielli, Maple Leafs hot stove. How's it going, Anthony? Mm-hmm. We tried. Yeah, we, we, we could we try again. Our, maybe we gave it our best. Um, so this is a real hockey team. So mm-hmm. I guess you can judge the results differently than you would have against the Sharks. The last two games, the Leafs have played mm-hmm. winners of four consecutive. But it must be said that, like, despite the the opponents they've faced, they've looked pretty good defensively. All right, I think we have Anthony online right. right now. Anthony Petrielli, Maple Leafs hot stove. Are you there, Anthony? Hey, guys, I'm here. Sorry about that. All good. Um, so, yeah, the, the question I was going to ask you off the hop is against a real hockey team where we can, you know, gauge some real results uh, tonight. Maple Leafs go to Long Island. Are you are you impressed? Do you believe that there's actually something that's that's happened over the last week or so defensively with this team taking all three wins in California? Uh, again, against not the, the greatest opposition, but they've really not – forced Martin Jones into into too much activity in the net. Do you think there's actually something that has progressed defensively as a unit with this team? No, honestly, if anything, I thought it was offensively, just kind of the way that they can they controlled the game and um you know, we've they've been so bad to be honest against bad hockey teams. Maybe not bad, but they haven't got good results for many years running now at this rate. Uh so to just kind of just watch them control the games, including the Anaheim game, where they just completely tilted it and they looked comfortable in control of the game, which they definitely didn't early on in Sheldon Keefe's tenure, and he would comment about that quite regularly, just, you know, that they uh, they would play a little bit. He, his term would be always immature. You know, they would push for it a little bit. This, this past week, they just looked very comfortable, even when the goalies were playing really well and, they were down. They just kind of kept at it. They didn't do anything crazy. So, I mean, they didn't really play a lot of defense to say 
you should feel good about how they played defensively other, you know, than the LA Kings game. Cause that's a quality opponent. They were good against Carolina defensively too. If you want to call it that, I just, the Islanders game's tough tonight. Like I don't want to call it a schedule loss, but you just played basically you didn't play NHL hockey for almost a week now. Yeah. We, we thought the sharks game was the trap game coming back home after the road trip and Nylander gets his extension, but maybe this is it. I, and you know, it's funny, like every time John Tavares goes back, I, well, I know not for the Islanders fans, but it feels less and less like a thing. It used to be that you could count on that to be the avoiding of, of a trap there. But yeah, I think there's definitely something at play. You know, it's funny uh, when you say that it's actually the offense that stood out to you, I got shades of, well, our power play will, will be our toughness uh, from, from a, from a guy who used to run the team here but I do wonder that like we talk so much about defensive structure and obviously you want to have it and you we think this team has a trade for a defenseman to make at some point in time but just based on the way the roster is constructed and man this feels like a three years ago conversation but is there some world and this isn't to say the Leafs want to be wide open and not structured defensively but is there a world where that is the Leafs best defense is to just have the puck and possess it and keep the opponents on their toes. Cause that's what you should do when you have the four forwards that the Leafs have and the complimentary ones that they have as well. Yeah, it definitely is. Like I, I, we might've talked about this before, um, but I mean, realistically they're, they're more Pittsburgh penguins with Ron Hainsey on the top pair, like Stanley cup champion team more than they are Colorado or Tampa with, Kale McCarr, Victor Hedman, you know, elite number one defenseman kind of thing. No offense to Morgan Riley, who I, I think is really good. I think everyone kind of thinks the world of him and great player, but he's not those guys, right? Like, so the the power of their team is going to be offensive. Like they shade completely offensively. Their whole way they're built is to have two top lines, right? Like that's basically the premise of the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the guys that has reemerged and, and, and played a, a pretty significant factor, um, in, in the recent run here, um, in the 11 games that Timothy Lilligren has uh, returned from, from his injury, uh, he suffered in Boston against Brad Marchand and the Bruins. He has seven points in those 11 games and he's averaging almost 21 minutes a game. Anthony, where, where is Lilligren in his progression in your mind? Yeah, he's finally starting to be comfortable to actually initiate play. Like we're seeing him really, really active. Right. And he was kind of billed as an offensive defenseman back in when he was in his draft year. And then everyone kind of knows he got mono, it kind of things stagnated. It's tough to, you know, keep in mind, not only is he young, but he was kind of coming up developmentally through like the COVID times, which was just kind of weird for everybody as as a building block and it's not an excuse just kind of the reality it's a bit of a weird it definitely wasn't a consistent situation for guys to get into flow guys to get extra game time and he really hasn't played much like he hasn't even hit 200 games yet so it's kind of been nice to actually just see him come back i wonder if that time off suited him well just to kind of watch the games from top a little bit slower from up there and just kind of build things through he does have a really good shot it, it probably doesn't get talked about much. Like he led the team in goals or the defense, sorry, in goals last season was six. It wasn't a ton, but he does have a bit of a bomb when he has a little bit of time and space to get rid of it. He can skate. 
He can move the puck. So he just looks like a guy who's starting to figure out the league and put it together. And he's a big piece for them because they really don't have a ton coming on defense. It's an old unit by and large. You know, Simon Benoit has been a nice find. He's 25. He's an RFA. But in terms of quality top four young-ish guys, he's really in it. Yeah, he's the only guy. He's the only guy on this decor right now. And you mentioned Benoit. I think people think that maybe there's a little growth to be had there. But I think we also understand what the player is. He's the only one that presents the opportunity for a real leap in terms of internal growth from this team. I mean, we all think there's a defenseman trade to be made, but if anybody on this team is going to become a different player and a different version of himself. He's the only guy, you know, Jake McCabe can get a little more comfortable. Morgan Riley can have his great stretches, but for the most part, I think everybody on that, on that back end is kind of baked in to, to what they are. And yeah, you mentioned him uh, leading the Leafs defense core in goals. It's a little bit like leading the Washington generals in, in points in a, in a game. It's a little bit like that, but still to your point, that's uh, that's good for him. We got to talk about the goaltending here. Uh, Ilya Samsonov, the team announces he's back. Mere hours later, Matthew Nyes appears to suffer a catastrophic injury, which apparently is totally fine. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't think ah, that's proof positive that you should have just kept him down with, with the Marlies. Where are you at on Samsonov? Do you expect to see him get in that, that Sunday game against the Red Wings here? I do expect him to get into that game. If you're, if you're going to call him up and have him, it just, I mean, at some point, they got to start thinking about Martin Jones here. You know, I, I almost thought that the San Jose game coming back from from the West Coast trip would have made sense to just start Hill to be just in the sense that, you know, they're going to play tonight. They're going to play Saturday. It's still three games and five nights for him. He's just turned 34 this week. You know, how much do you want this guy to be your workhorse? At some point, what are you, are, you got to preserve him at least a little bit. So, I would be wild to me if they didn't start Samson off on, on Sunday. I don't think it's punting the game. I mean, the whole point of everything they just did was to try to reset him. So they're clearly not giving up on him just yet. It's just, it's, it's going to be a tough spot for, for Sheldon as he kind of goes through it on Sunday. If the first goal of the game that he allows is a bad one, you know, He's going to want to yank him, but he's not going to do it because he's going to have to sit there and basically eat it. Because <laughs> if he does, he might as well just tell him to leave the bench and go home. Right. So, so I, I don't mind them giving him a chance, though. I know I know everyone's kind of down on him. I see the way he's played this year. I just, I can't shake that he, he was, he, you know, the performance he gave in the playoffs last year was the best Leafs goaltending performance we've seen since, like, Eddie Belfour was a Leaf. Right. And I mean, not only did he have the, the, the career high save percentage during the course of the regular season, his high danger save percentage was otherworldly. I mean, Anthony, I, I, I love digging into all the, the stats and all the sports and, and in the NHL and in hockey, it's, it's, it's a little bit different than baseball, right? Because, you know, in baseball, you can easily separate each and every pitch and each and every swing. And like the, we have now a, a long history with, with, with baseball stats that they are actually pretty good indicators of future success and you can you can evaluate over the course of one season whether a guy was unlucky or lucky and and whether he's likely to to replicate that upcoming uh in the next season like, do you think we'll ever get to a point where we'll be able to look at a goaltending performance and say well <laughs> hold on a second yeah. here like anthony where are we on the goaltending stats give us a stat 
Goaltending is an entirely made up position, man. I don't right. know. I don't know how many stats there are for Can it. confirm. Just, Agreed. And that's why I don't mind giving him another look. I mean, he was a really good goalie not very long ago. And we're, I mean, they still technically are not at the halfway point of the season. Technically, they have not hit that, that mark yet. So, like, you know, mid-season, it's January. You don't want to give the guy another run. I mean, you know, you might lose the game. Fine. It's, that's not great. But is that is it worth the risk? I would, I would argue yes. I don't see how it wouldn't be worth the risk. The worst thing that happens is he just continues to play terrible, and you say, all right, we absolutely tried our best. What do you want us to do? I think everyone could understand that. But, you know, the best thing that happens is he finds his game again, and then suddenly you have really good situation kind of brewing. I I agree with all that, but if I'm going to play devil's advocate or bring to light something I've heard is that, and I don't think this is true, but, you know, we have seen this Leafs team in individual games crater when, as you mentioned, that ill-fated, you know, it's usually not the first one with Samsonov. That was more of a Michael Hutchison thing, but it's like the stinker on the fourth shot of the night or something like that. We've seen what this does to that team in front of him and you know I suppose you can say that's a challenge to them and their maturity and they know that it's entirely plausible but how much do you worry about the idea of and I understand you can't run Martin Jones into the ground so it's him or Hildeby I I understand the proposition that's available to you but how much do you worry about undoing the good that's been built up by this Leafs team with them kind of going in the tank if they do see that bad goal early on and it's, you know, a Red Wings team that we've seen them, like they can they can score in bunches. It's not always the way it goes for them, but it certainly can happen. What do you make to the credence that it can kind of undo the, not even goodwill, but just the good habits that have been built up over this last stretch since he's been gone? I don't think, I don't think it would undo it. I think, you'd, I think you would want to see the guys, you know, try to put their best foot forward for Sam Snoffy. A lot of these guys are familiar with them. A lot of these guys, Samsonov himself bailed out in the spring last year. I don't think it's a big ask of them to say, can we try to dig in for this guy? You know, he's clearly fighting it. Mm. I th- I bet I'm sure the players feel just as bad for him. I'm sure the players are frustrated when he's playing poorly and putting them way behind the eight ball. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I'm, I'm sure guys see a guy struggling and, and you'd like to see just from a teammate standpoint that they actively kind of battle for a guy and, and give him a real chance to, to get his career back going. You know, I'm sure everyone you know understands there that he's a pending UFA, all those things. So, you know, the absolute worst case scenario, I think is, is he just has a really, really bad game to the point where like, I don't think we can just justify this anymore. Yeah. That, it, that was the Columbus game. Like that was, was, we saw that. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then he went away for a few weeks, right. To try to work on it. And then, but, and then they weren't bad. We just talked about how good they've been defensively and offensively for Mm. two weeks. So I, I I don't see how it would have some sort of long-term ramification, but it would definitely be frustrating to watch him play terrible and watch them get rolled against Detroit. Yeah. I mean, they didn't play poorly in the Columbus game. He's just allowing, you know, shots, un- unscreened shots from the top of the circle to, to get by him. So I, I don't know what, what you're <laughs> supposed to do as a defense score to, to prevent that. Like, that's exactly what, what you want your goaltender to face. Uh, before they go, so I guess it depends on the availability of Matthew Nyes tonight, but it does look like Nick Robertson's going to once again be a healthy scratch. Um, is this just the, the way it's going to go for him? Like if if he's on a good team, that he's just going to be a bubble guy. That 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 this is the best he could hope for. Or, or are you still 
bullish that 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 he could be more than that going forward? I think he could be more than that. I just think the struggle for him is probably that he's not getting the development opportunities that he would get were he, you know, on Chicago this season where he would probably just lap up power play time and ice time and work through all his mistakes and all those things. And, and, you know, I think he would produce 20 plus goals and his game would probably start to figure itself out over a couple of years in, in pretty short order. Whereas on this Leafs team, you know, they're trying to win right now. They fancy themselves a contender. So when he's struggling to break out, the juice isn't worth the squeeze in terms of struggling to get the puck out of his zone and getting jammed on the wall consistently against good teams and any sort of offense he brings. Like it's not a one for one trade off. You can't sit there and say, well, he's scoring enough to make it worth it because they're not against good teams, right? The, the game against LA was kind of the backbreaker. He tried to go forehand backhand around someone right at his own blue line. The Kings <laughs> turned it over quite easily. And then it was in short order that you saw the, the shift length charts come up in the top left corner because the Leafs were in their zone for a minute. And after that, he, you know, he didn't even play nine minutes in that game. It was the, the lowest of any Leaf forward by multiple minutes. And that shift alone was like a minute at least. So I, I just think he struggles in those settings. It, you, I think, I, honestly, I do think he's been fair with them, though. I, he's given them 20-plus consecutive games here to kind of get rolling that line. He's played them whenever he could. I don't think he can do much more than what he's given them. I just think Robertson's game has to kind of come along. And, and it has. It's shown, it's shown flashes. But it's just it's going to be a slower development on a team like this where he's stuck on the third line in limited minutes and he's barely getting power play time and all of those things. I don't think that makes him a bad player. I just think it's going to be a long, a bit of a longer uh, path for him here. Yeah, unfortunately, they're out of Sharks games. They're done. Like, no more. So. <laughs> That's a bummer. He scored. Yeah, exactly. Right? That was you kind of just like, yeah, I could see him scoring in that game. <laughs> uh, Anthony, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Anthony Patrelli, Maple Leafs hot stove. Yeah, Nick Robertson, uh, incredible junior career. He's shown the ability to score at the American League level, and mm-hmm. yeah, given a different circumstance, and maybe we won't have to wait long to see that. Uh, although I'd be dubious of his value in trade. Uh, headed towards the deadline in February. But uh, yeah, but this team, hard to envision him turning into something this season that's of great import. Yeah, short of, uh, short of a catastrophic injury to one of the forwards that matters, quite honestly. Like, if that were to happen, then but, all... But of... even, like, so, like, Matthew Nyes is out tonight. Like, is Nick no, no, Roberts no. in a fit, like, no, no, on no, no, that top no, no, line? No, no. Come on. You know who I mean by the forwards who matter. I'm not talking about Domi. I'm not talking about Bertuzzi. I'm not talking about Matthew Nyes. It's the two wingers that occupy the right wing side for him. It's like, yeah, if there's a world where he's riding shotgun with Tavares or Matthews, you can see it happening. I'm not holding my breath on that. Let me tell you the space he will occupy in in a trade if he makes one. It'll be the other team saying, the real piece of this deal is asset X that is not Nick Robertson, Mm -hmm. but it will be followed up by this is a nice secondary piece to have. He'll say all the stuff about the junior career, Mm -hmm. the shot that's there, because it's true. Mm -hmm. He will not be the piece of a trade, but he'll be a, I think he would be Mm -hmm. a nice complimentary piece in one on one of these teams that is in a selling mode, because if you give him some time, I think he can be a fine player. Yeah. Not on this team though. Maybe Cromula. Yeah, definitely. All right. 
Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Leafs, Islanders, real game on Long Island against a real team. And it is Maple Leafs favored, minus 130. Islanders plus 110. Leafs losing 4-3 in overtime, their last trip to Long Island. The uh, total, six and a half in this one, Brent. Islanders cannot score. Leafs have been more buttoned down as of late. Old Bones Jones has at least one more good one in him. Give me the under. It's six and a half there, plus 100. Let's go. Under. Yeah, Sorokin against Old Bones Jones. And, you know, you're going to get a motivated Islanders team, not just because Mm -hmm. they got John Tavares and the Leafs, but they just got smoked by the Canucks Mm -hmm. who were running roughshod through the the state of uh, New York. So, yeah, I, I, I also liked the under six and a half at even money plus 100. Speaking of those Canucks who are getting ready for the Toronto Maple Leafs next week. Their Super Bowl at seven (laughs) o'clock Eastern in Vancouver. It's going to be a tough one for them Uh, in Pittsburgh to play a Penguins team that's battling tooth and nail to get into the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference and Penguins at home. Yeah, significant favorites. Minus 125. The Canucks plus 105, despite having the second most points in the National Hockey League, total six and a half. You led the witness there, and yeah. I will flee. I will follow right to water. Yes, Canucks money line plus 105. I had to check that they didn't play last night. No, they played Tuesday. Uh, so give me the Canucks on the money line there. Feel pretty good about that one. I feel bad following you on both of these picks, but we don't ever do this. So this yeah. is true. Well, not since the beginning of the year when we when we just skipped like we were quickly to the Raptors under at the at this segment every day. Yeah, and it's a different world now. But yeah, no, give me also the Canucks on the road continuing to look like one (laughs) of the best teams in the NHL. You agree with me? What could go wrong? No, sounds great. All right, that was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back, MLSE about to have a new president and CEO, maybe as early as today. Uh, We'll talk to Damian Cox, our Leafs historian. Toronto Star contributor next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.